Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Uh, no guest this week, but I am excited to introduce my co-host. He is a passionate advocate for the Houston food scene. Matt Harris, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing well, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Let's dive right into the news of the week. I want to start with something that's a little bit personal for me, which is that Cleverly Stone, the local TV and radio personality best known as the founder of Houston Restaurant Weeks, Passed away last week at the age of 68. I occasionally have been known to refer to Cleverly as my radio godmother because I appeared on that show once a month for, I want to say, three or four years. It kind of gave me the experience to get started in broadcasting and ultimately led to starting this podcast. So... Cleverly is someone that I knew pretty well. We judged any number of food competitions over the years. We also worked together on creating content around Houston Restaurant Weeks for Culture Map readers. That content is always very popular. That event is very popular. She started it in 2003. Since then, it has raised over $16 million for the Houston Food Bank. Uh, That number keeps going up. She started with about 10 restaurants the first year. More recently, the last three or four years, it's had over 250 restaurants and raised over $2 million a year. Um, Matt, I want to talk a little bit more about Cleverly, but I do want to throw it to you. I mean, you you certainly encountered her in your travels for the food scene. What will you remember about her? Uh, Indeed. Um, I uh, uh, found her to be always uh, generous with her time. She had us on uh, for several years doing segments to, to promote Big Taste, um, and uh, that was very gracious. She, uh, she may not have always been on time, but she was very generous with her time. <laughs> she expected you to be on time. Exactly. That was, you know, very... And that's fair. That's fair. Very strict instructions. Uh, well, yes, especially when you're broadcasting on either live TV or live radio, uh, you know, I, I say she, she had me on her show. I should be more specific. Uh, the Cleverly Food Talk radio show was on 6.50 a.m. for many years. Three hours of live radio every Saturday morning from 9 to noon. As someone who does roughly an hour of pre-recorded radio uh, once a week, let me tell you that that three hours is a lot of time to fill. And I, I sat in on that show Uh, as recently as earlier this year. And I was reminded of how much goes into producing every episode. And of course, you know, she was a soul, you know, she, she bought that time from 650 and she put the show together and she booked all the guests and kept all the revenue. She was the, the host, the executive producer, the talent booker, the, the, the all things. And she had this incredible roster of, of guests. I was on there one morning and she was very excited because George Clinton the legendary funk musician was going to be on later in the show. Uh, there is, in fact, a, a post Lucille's uh, 
posted a picture of Cleverly with George Clinton um, together. I'm not, I'm not making that up. It really, really happened. Uh, I heard Wolfgang Puck on that show. I heard, uh, I want to say I heard Daniel Ballou on that show. I mean, she, you know, I was talking to uh, Alex Brennan Martin of um, the owner of Brennan's, and, and he said, you know, he, she kind of put Houston on the map. You know, she was our ambassador to the larger culinary world kind of before before people around the country were recognizing how exciting Houston's food scene is. They would they would do ten or a ten or fifteen minute segment on the Cleverly Show on a Saturday morning, uh, and and that was a way to introduce Houstonians to kind of what was going on in the in the larger food culture. So she she played a a, a very significant role. Um, I will of course remember, you know, some of the quirks. Uh, you know, she could be. She was very particular and very protective of her status. You know, we judged the risotto festival together a couple of years ago and she, she made it a point to note that she was the senior member on the panel. You know, we, we all have the same vote, right? Our votes all counted equally, but, but she had been to multiple risotto festivals probably since it was founded. And she was the senior member on the panel. She was always very quick to, to put me in my place. Um, but always in kind of a loving, joking way. I think that's one of the reasons she liked having me on the show is that she could disagree with me, right? She may not, she may not want to go back and forth with the chef, but she could, she could more or less call me an idiot and know that I wasn't going to take it personally and that I would be back, you know, the next time she called and needed someone to come on the show and, and talk to her about whatever topics were, were going on that day. So, you know, uh, again, I mean, the, the contribution with Houston Restaurant Weeks is – I mean, almost immeasurable, you know, talking to David Cordua about her. And he said, you know, August used to be our absolutely slowest month and we would cut hours and cut shifts and people wouldn't make very much money. And now it's second only to December in terms of revenue. And, and that's that's really a credit to her. And the one other thing I want to note before we move on is that Houston Restaurant Weeks is an entirely volunteer effort. She never made a dime off of it. And that, you know, a lot of these restaurant weeks around the country have some sort of participation fee or administrative fee that covers the cost of the time of organizing it. Uh, Cleverly just did all that for free and, and considered it very important that every dollar raised went directly to the food bank to help as many people as possible, uh, even to her own personal detriment. I mean, she would spend so many hours working on it that, you know, she didn't, she didn't spend as much time finding sponsors for her radio show or, or, maintaining her mailing list or some of the other ways that she made money. And, and I, I mean, I, I won't say that I begged her to reconsider that program, but, but I did encourage her to, to maybe think it through. It's like, just take, you know, you're raising $2 million a year, take 5% for all the time that you devote to it. Uh, you know, it would have been a life-changing amount of money, but she wouldn't hear of it. And, and so that means that, the PR firm that helped her promote it, uh, the web host that hosted HoustonRestaurantWeeks.com, you know, everyone else had to fall in line and follow her example, and that and they donated all of their services and all of their time too. And so that was uh, one of the most impressive things about Houston Restaurant Week is is how much it inspired other people to give. Yeah, indeed, and I mean, what a legacy! I mean, that's uh, 
as you mentioned, you really can't underestimate the impact of not just for the restaurants, but for the food bank as well. Um, and then, then there were some uh, start to see some get more of an insight and understand or impact through some of the things that others said this week. You mentioned David Cordua, uh, Arash at Buff Brew had some really nice things to say. Justin Turner with Bernie's Burger Bus, Phaedra Cook. So, well, yeah, I mean, uh, you're not on Facebook, but but my Facebook feed uh, Thursday and Friday was nothing but pictures of people in the culinary world with pictures of with Cleverly that they had taken when she had brought her Fox 26 TV segment to their restaurant or or they had done yeah. a cooking demo with her. or They had been on the show with her. You know, it's it's almost immeasurable um, how generous she was with her platform and, and how she used it to promote restaurants across the spectrum, you know, high, low, chain, local, national, you know, she was always, you know, she was always looking for, for the next guest and, and to stay relevant and, and to be engaged with what was going on in the food scene. Well, and let's, let's be honest, putting you in your place is just one more reason to like her. Yeah. I, I need that as much as possible. So, yeah, definitely a a significant loss in the Houston food scene. Yeah, August, I I have not heard what the plans are for Houston Restaurant Weeks. It seems maybe premature to start asking those questions, but uh, certainly it will go on in her honor. And and August, just it's not going to be the same without her. You know, it's it's just going to be a very different, uh, it's going to have a very different feeling. All right. Let us move on to topic number two. Uh, we are deep in the wave of coronavirus-related closings. That is to say, the the downturn in the business of restaurants prompted by having their dining rooms shut down, stay-home orders, uh, people losing their jobs, not spending as much money, uh, the rising price of beef, you know, capacity limitations. All of these different elements kind of coming together and putting a lot of pressure on not just new restaurants, but also existing restaurants, maybe none more prominent than Bernie's Burger Bus, which closed last week. Um, You know, I talked to Justin Turner on this podcast uh, just a couple of months ago and, and listening to him then you could kind of see that maybe this was coming um, but the outpouring of support once that was announced and the, the number of people who flooded to Bernie's to, to have one last burger, uh, they had planned to stay open until Sunday. They wound up closing by like the middle of the afternoon on Saturday just because they ran out of food. So, you know, a real testament to kind of what, what Justin built. And, and Matt, let me throw it to you as we'll, we'll go through some of these other closings. But uh, thoughts on Bernie's Burger Bus? Uh, it's tough. Um... I think uh, Justin is a great ambassador for Houston and for burgers and the uh, uh, it, it uh, really is a, is a window to uh, the, the realities right now. Um, so seeing something like, you know, Bernie's is, is a little bit of a kind of shakes you a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, it's uh, right for for something that was so popular and and frankly so good. I mean, I, you know, he had that kind of innovation with the the principal burger to to roast the tomatoes and season them with garlic. So he kind of got out of the business of 
having to worry about whether fresh tomatoes tasted like anything or not. You know, that's a, that's that can be a real plague for a burger is a, a mealy tomato. And he kind of he, he had that thought to kind of get out of that business. And, you know, even the the kind of the Shake Shack knockoff, the cheerleader was kind of my favorite. Just, uh, you know, meat, cheese, bun, you know, basic veggies, real simple um, but he used great beef and he, and he really sweated all the details and it was a testament to, to how much he grew that thing. I mean, I remember going to Lizard's Pub, uh, probably around the time that Allison Cook, uh, kind of gave it a bump with her Burger Friday review and, and just like thinking like, oh, this is so cutesy. There's no way mm. this is going to be good, right? It's so, it's so gimmicky. Mm-hmm. It's so branded. It's like, oh no, this is actually extremely delicious. And I now have like a new favorite burger. So you know, he really, uh, he really did raise the game. And, uh, it's funny. I was on, I was on Houston matters with Craig Cohen talking about talking about this. And Craig asked me if I thought he would open another food truck. And I said, I don't think so because the role food trucks kind of play in the dining scene is very different now than it was 10 years ago. Food halls are kind of that incubator. But more to the point, I just think Justin Turner has built up so much goodwill in the community that I, I think he would go into another restaurant. Sure. And and his talent extends beyond burgers as well. I mean, making a good burger uh, and, and making it repeatable uh, is not an easy task by any means. No. And I mean, I remember I mean, I remember he did a Korean pop up with Matt Pack from the burger joint once he did a a four item duck menu at grand prize way back in the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he's got a, a fine dining kind of pedigree. And so I can easily see him opening a restaurant that, that serves a burger, but is not devoted to burgers. Sure. And then just a couple of other closings worth noting penny quarter, the all day cafe from Bobby Hugel and Justin, Yu is closed indefinitely. Um, which may or may not mean permanently. I talked to Bobby this morning to kind of hash some of those details out. But, but what he said is it's just the, that model of high volume, long hours, relatively inexpensive items is just not viable right now. And they, you know, it's a new business. It still has some, some debt to pay back. And, and so they were looking at, you know, is it worth taking on additional debt and putting the the future of, you know, their other businesses at risk. And, and you know, the answer is just no. So, you know, it's shut down for now. They're going to use that space for cocktail pop-ups and maybe as a little bit of overflow for Anvil. But I, I got to say, I, I liked Penny Quarter quite a bit. I'm going to miss it. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, in terms of sort of recent additions, um, uh, it was a strong addition. Location-wise, it uh, it uh, fit was a good fit for me as well. Enjoyed several visits there, um, but you know I think it speaks to really what is. We can tell ourselves, you know, hey, it's it's tough, but we'll get through it. Which, in one sense, is is true, but the uh, the economic the current economic realities, which I thought Bobby laid out pretty well, are, are formidable. And there's another another part of it as well. I think, you know, I wonder how familiar people are with the cost of running a restaurant. 
you know, they, they kind of want their, their food at a certain price and what they're willing to pay, but it, it's not an inexpensive endeavor. And I, I sort of applaud Bobby for not compromising on, on their core values and making the decision to close. Well, right. And even more to that, you know, you talk about the cost of running a restaurant, you know, Bobby makes it a point, full-time employees get health insurance. They pay above market wages to attract better talent. And, you know, those things have a cost and, and there's only so much that people are willing to pay for, you know, a salad, a chicken sandwich, a burger, whatever else was on the, the penny quarter menu. So they sort of, they're, they're at the upper end of the market maybe for, for those individual items. And then they, and then they just agree to sort of make less money. That's just sort of the reality in order to, to kind of do things the right way. And so it is, it's, it's unfortunate that, that that business wasn't viable and, and, you know, if the economic situation improves in the, in the near term or things start to look up or the virus rate starts to go down and people start to feel more comfortable going out, then, you know, penny quarter could come back, but for the short term and at least in the, in the immediate term, it's, it's closed. Um, and then briefly, just three other closings worth noting. Uh, Puccine, which closed kind of at the start of the pandemic, uh, is officially gone. I talked to Chef Dominic Lee, who is planning to move to New Orleans. I never did hear from Puccine owner Ian Tucker, uh, but you know he may have he may have plans for that space. And in some ways, you know that big room—it's uh, more than 10,000 square feet. It sat more than 400 people. Uh, might be might be ideally suited to a time of social distancing because you could. You get a lot of tables six feet apart in a big room like that. Uh, and it has that big patio with that beautiful view of the the downtown skyline. And Sawyer Yards is so up and coming with uh, Buffalo Bayou Brewery. We had John Holler on from Holler Brewing a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, Dumpling House is right there. Uh, awesome Bites, the vegan dessert company is right there. Uh, Sticky's Chicken is right there. So a lot, a lot kind of going on in that in that area and that would seem to be an interesting space potentially for for somebody uh you have a last word about Pachin? you know I, i'm a chef dom fan um you know as you said he's going to new orleans which i think is their gain um i was fortunate enough to eat there uh kind of right before all this started and in, in february and, and had a really good meal there and we'll uh um for me personally was you know be a nice be a fond memory yeah i i think he they kind of spent a few months kind of figuring out what they wanted that place to be and then once uh dominic kind of dialed in on that southern menu they kind of spoke to his new orleans roots accented with some touches from his culinary education and his time at karen's i thought that place really kind of locked in and and i i will miss it for sure indica the Indian restaurant. It's kind of bounced around for about a year. Uh, its current owner, Mickey Kapoor, finally finally pulled the plug on that and said it just wasn't fundamentally, it just wasn't the same without its founding chef, Anita Jaisinghani, who sold it uh, in 2017 to concentrate on Pondicherry, which appears to have been a good decision for her as she is currently a James Beard Award finalist for her work there. But Indigo was kind of a, a a seminal Houston restaurant, you know, uh, 
I mean, I remember when it, it opened and Anita was serving uh, goat brain masala and that everyone was sort of scandalized by that, but it, it opened people up to Indian cuisine that wasn't, you know, chicken tikka masala and tandoori chicken and sock paneer. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, speaking of fond memories, you know, I remember when Indica was out on Memorial where uh, Izakaya Wa is currently. Um, and uh, several visits out there. Um, so unfortunate that, you know, but these things happen. And um, there's, uh, I think we'll talk about some new Indian food here uh in a little bit so it's it's, (laughs) yes that's that's coming it's not there's not as big of a loss as it would have been maybe you know 10 years ago yeah this is kind of the is it better to burn out or fade away of restaurants if it had closed in say you know 2012 it would have been a huge tragedy and it closes in 2020 and it's kind of a shrug uh you know it's kind of the way that's kind of the way these things go i guess um, and then finally, Barry's Pizza, the Galleria area favorite, closed after 37 years. It's a long time to run a restaurant. I mean, I have uh, fond memories of not maybe not in high school, maybe kind of a kind of a college uh, vibe of going there for for those rectangular deep dish pies. And they had a location out in Stafford that was near where I grew up that we got takeout from. Uh, pretty regularly, and and so I wasn't. Uh, I was surprised to see that it closed. There's just not like if you that that area kind of west of the Galleria. It's just not a ton of really good pizza out there, and so Barry's was such a staple. Yeah, I I I, I mean I think it I think it's fair to put it in the um, conversation of you know Houston institutions. Um, it was sort of a, a forerunner to. Uh, um, current times, family run, um, lots of options, different types of pizza. Uh, and, and I enjoyed, I, you know, I thought they had a really good product. Yeah, it had been, uh, right. I mean, it had been several years since I had had a Barry's pizza. Um, but I will remember it fondly. It kind of, you know, it was, I mean, in the nineties, like it and star were kind of the best, right? Like what's the, what's the best pizza in Houston? And, 1998 it's like well you got star and berries and maybe fuzzies and of course you know we have we have more diversity now and, yeah. and more styles and uh you know the whole thing is kind of shifted but uh but certainly a a restaurant that served its community well for a really long time and that that will be missed by many many people yeah there was a decent you know uh, uh when they announced the closing i, I thought there was a what I would consider an above average response on social media. Yeah. Anytime a, a really old restaurant kind of closes out of the blue or, or maybe people haven't been like super dialed in. Oh man, I can't believe that place closed. Like there's always a little bit of that. When's the <laughs> last time you ate there? You know, right. like, Oh man, it's been years. It's like, well, now you know why it closed. Yeah. So, all right. And then topic number three, the Southern smoke foundation has a new initiative it is offering free mental health care to hospitality workers and their children uh, across the state of Texas. This is a big deal. There is, I mean, there's there's really no sugarcoating this. The working in restaurants is very demanding. 
Um, the hours are long. The stress level is high. Uh, Lord knows. I Angry commenters on Facebook are, are bad enough. I can't imagine people who are actively mad at me because I screwed up their order or because or somebody else screwed up their order or because they ordered the wrong thing without knowing what they were asking for. Um, and so, you know, depression is an issue. Uh, drug abuse is an issue. And not having health care is an issue. And so all of these things kind of combine together and, and it, it can lead to some really toxic situations. Uh, you know, people who wind up leaving the industry because they wind up abusing drugs or alcohol to a point where it's not healthy and they, they go into recovery and they, they leave the industry and they go do something else, even though they had, they maybe had a really promising career. So hopefully this new, this new initiative, which is a partnership with mental health America of greater Houston and the university of Houston department of psychology, um, helps people get the help that they need and helps them get intervention before they get to a point of no return. Yes. I mean, I, I'm a fan um, as someone who's dealt with addiction, you know, mental health is often overlooked and uh, always to your detriment. So I, I, I think this is important and really worthwhile and kudos to all those involved putting this together. Yeah. And, and I hope people really take advantage of this. I know we have a certain industry audience because the counselors are student clinicians, PhD students at the University of Houston. And they, I mean, they need a certain amount of training hours to complete their degrees. So, um, you know, they're going to they're gonna do this work anyway for somebody. And it really might as well be people in the restaurant business who, who need the help. Yeah, it, it's, it's a win-win. Those are what and, you look for. Yeah. And, and the other thing is I asked Catherine Lott, who's the executive director of Southern Smoke, it's like, well, what if people need medication and, and U of H has some resources that they can kind of guide people towards, even if you don't have health insurance that will, you know, help decrease the cost of, of that. And, and of course, if, if, you know, you really can't swing it and you really do need something, I mean, Southern Smoke Foundation is there. I mean, helping people in medical situations, affording medication or, or whatever other kind of procedures is, is one of the, the main things that money goes towards. So, you know, this is just, this is such a necessary thing. And it, and it grew out of uh, conversations in the wake of Anthony Bourdain's suicide. You know, I'm not going to rattle off a bunch of names, but we certainly know uh, people in the restaurant community who have died uh, too young. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to keep writing those articles. So, uh, so, you know, hopefully people, there's awareness of this resource. Hopefully people take advantage of it. And because uh, it's, it's something that I know Catherine has worked really hard to create and, uh, and could be really valuable for people. Yeah, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Matt, that does it for our news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Matt, for our restaurants of the week, I want to start with a brief conversation about black-owned restaurants. Uh, obviously, with the protests surrounding the death of George Floyd and the, the march that took place in Houston on 
Tuesday, I think a lot of us are, are looking for ways to support the black community at a time when it's, uh, it's just very difficult. And you want to make an affirmative gesture of support and show a little solidarity. And there's just, you know, it's hard to know, I think, what the right thing to do is. But, but it seems to me that one way to do that in a positive way is to spend a little money at a black owned business. No, I, I you know, I, I, I think there's a lot here. And, and um, the, uh, I saw something uh, recently that said food is political. Um, and I think there's a lot of, you know, truth in that. Um, and uh, the, uh, if you want to see things change, then I think that requires action. And uh, one way to do that is to support black-owned businesses. Right. And I, right. I mean, I, I struggle with this a little bit. I struggle with knowing exactly what the right thing to say is or, or how to phrase it. Um, you know, I acknowledge I'm a middle-aged white guy. And so my perspective on these things is limited. But I, I have put together a list of, Black-owned restaurants, it's on Culture Map for people to look at. And so I don't want to rattle off a whole bunch of names, but uh, do you have maybe one or two places in particular that you would like to sort of call people's attention to? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've uh, been a big fan of, of Indigo and Johnny Road since his opening. I think we were there opening night. You know, Johnny is a passionate advocate and it uh, current currently uh, Indigo is Bro and Groceries. It's also uh, you know I think beyond just the dining experience. It's also been a a place where I've learned, um, which I think is important. Uh, I've had to get out of my comfort zone a little bit, which is also important. So these are uh, these are the things that I'm going to continue to do and you know now is now more than ever um is the time to to sort of stand up and speak out yeah and i i mean johnny's been on the show before obviously and and he does see part of his role as educating people and challenging their beliefs and and forcing them to think about things from a new perspective and so you know, a meal at Indigo is more than just the dishes on the plate. It's it's an educational opportunity. Um, but I do kind of want to ground this in the food. So just for people who maybe haven't been to to Broham, like what are the one or two things that are definitely on the list to take home with you? Um, I would say it's more important to go. Um, there's going to be something there that uh, will uh, will be worth your time. So. I've had lots of, uh, I've been quite a bit, um, and they do a really good job. So I would say go that to me, that's, that's the most important thing. <laughs> All right. Well, we will definitely go, you know, I had a meal back in uh, January, February at Lucille's Chris Williams restaurant in the museum district. And was just reminded of how much I really enjoy that place. It had been at least a couple of years for me. Uh, the chef Chris Williams recently tweaked the menu. You know the chili biscuits, his his fried chicken, the yard bird. Those aren't going anywhere. But 
there's a new octopus dish on the menu. There's a, a Nashville style hot duck on the menu now. He's doing braised oxtails over grits. That's really delicious. So, you know, maybe a place that might be flying a little bit under the radar compared to some other kind of elevated Southern style restaurants around town, but, but one that's definitely worth considering. And then you and I, uh, by coincidence, happen to try a brand new, a new location of an existing black owned restaurant, which is famous barbecue. Uh, they had been down in the kind of Meyerland, Westbury area for a number of years, just relocated to Sawyer Yards right next to Urban South Brewery. Uh, Matt, what do you think of famous barbecue? Um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. You know, I enjoyed enjoyed our meal there yesterday. And uh, we uh, brought some home and uh, got uh, got lots of kudos from the significant other. So... So it was a good day. And any, any time I can get sweet potato pie. Yeah. Any, the, and uh, those, and those kind of sweet and savory baked beans. I mean, I, I, I want to talk about the meat because that's a really important part of going to a barbecue joint, but Holy crap. Those beans were delicious. Uh, true story. Yeah, uh, they were, they were very good. That, that, that bat and the sausage may have been the standouts. Yeah. That homemade pork sausage is absolutely killer. It's got kind of a loose texture. I, I'm I'm bad at the the exactly how this thing is seasoned game, but I'm going to say there's a little bit of cayenne in that, in that mix gives a little kick. Yeah, it, just, it had a, a great flavor. Uh, yeah, right. Ribs were nicely cooked. Pulled pork had that had that kind of luscious uh, texture to it. I yeah, and and considering it was only their first day open in the new location, I was I was really impressed, and I look forward to coming back in a couple of weeks once they get things a little more dialed in. Yeah, agreed. Yes. All right. Let us talk about our dinner last week at Musifer. This is the new fine dining Indian restaurant in the Galleria. Uh, it was the fall of 2017 when the Galleria hung a giant banner on the side that said the Spice Route Company, or maybe just Spice Route. So I've been tracking this restaurant for at least that long. And it is finally here. And, well, Matt, let me just throw it to you. What did you think of our dinner at Musifer? I'm going to be honest. That's what you have me on for, I think. It is, yes. Uh, <laughs> certainly not for my glowing personality. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought it was very good. Yes, I think, I think that is a conservative uh, measured assessment. I Let's just let's just say, arguably one of the most beautiful dining rooms in Houston. I I agree with that as well. You know, from from the pictures that I saw, kind of leading up to this, I, I was perhaps a little a little anxious, um, but uh, I thought it it looked great, and even perhaps more importantly, I thought it felt great. Just you know, lots of detail, thoughtful, intentional the way that the space is sort of divided up. Um, it just, it made a lot of sense. It worked, it worked really well. Well, and to have the owner, uh, kind of walk us through and, and, uh, and say, Oh, you know, this, this design element was, uh, inspired by our travel to this region. And, 
and this design at all was inspired by something we saw in this town, it really grounds it. Right. You know, and it, I, yeah. so it's not just it's not just that they, you know, flipped through a catalog or started looking at Instagram accounts looking for inspiration. I mean, you know, this is uh for the owners Shami and Mithu Malik, this is this is their uh you know, this is their lived experience. And and all of these things, you know, the the tin panels that wrap around the bar, the the mirrored ceiling in one dining room, the you know, the the gold plated pots and pans in another room, you know, all handmade, all done uh with a very specific intent. You know, I I was joking when I said it makes Mad look like Luby's, right? Mad is still a very beautiful restaurant with an incredible aesthetic that that's, you know, absolutely eye-catching. But this does kind of set a standard, I think. Yes. Maybe not totally apples to apples. It's not it's not quite as flashy in the way that Mad is to me, but uh it really has a a great feel. And a great look. I, I, was, I was very, very impressed. Yeah, and then we we had the opportunity to kind of taste through uh, a bunch of the menu as as their guests. Chef Mayan, you know, worked us through a whole bunch of the menu. I mean, standouts for me, you know, mushroom eclairs, uh, lamb chops with the hot garlic oil, the uh, the lamb shank, uh, curry lobster. And then uh, those desserts are just just spectacular. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, yeah, still go back to that ceviche with the cured scallop. Which for me was was my favorite bite. Um, but you know, as elaborate as that food is, you know, I kept coming back to how clean the flavors were, and uh, you know, so to to be that elaborate, and, but still show that level of of restraint in cooking was very impressive. Well, and I, I think one of the things that impressed me was that a lot of the dishes had like, like a subtle bitter element that kind of rounded their flavors out. You know, sometimes, you know, if we, you know, if you think about like a tikka masala or, or a butter chicken, it's, you know, sweet and creamy is kind of the dominant flavor, but, but these dishes are, um, they're very thoughtful in their preparations. They, they, you know, a lot of umami, you know, textural components. So it's not just, I mean, we had the, the version of sog paneer, right? It's a, instead of just one mush, it's like a, a firm block of cheese with this carefully cooked spinach. It's, you know, every dish has been thought through very, very deliberately. And it showed, yeah. I mean, it really showed on the plate. So I was, I, very much look forward to going back and soon. Yeah, um, not an inexpensive meal. You know, I, I put a bunch of pictures up on, on Instagram. And of course, the question came back immediately. How much is this? Well, it's it's not cheap. I mean, the appetizers are, you know, upper teens, low 20s. Entrees kind of start in the mid 30s and go up from there. So, you know, you can expect that that dinner for four to run you. Um, I'm, I'm going to say probably $200, $250 a person plus whatever you choose to drink and, and you should, because the, the cocktails are delicious. The wine list is extensive and very thoughtful, but, uh, but worth it. And, and a restaurant that I think stands 
compares very favorably to its sort of obvious competitors, which are Veranda and Kieran's. It's sort of, uh, I would say it's sort of grander than Veranda um, in its scale and its decor, um, and maybe more modern than Kieran's. Not that, uh, not that both of those restaurants aren't both accomplished and delicious, but if you were looking for a comparison. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I, I feel, you know, uh, I'm not sure 250 a person is. Uh, no, no, not 250 a person. I think, I think that, that dinner for, okay. that dinner for four savory food is probably going to run you about 250 bucks. You'll probably spend another 50 on dessert. You'll probably gotcha. spend another hundred on booze, tax and tip. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say a, a doing doing Musifer right is probably going to cost you around a hundred dollars a person. Okay, I I, I apologize. I yeah, no, no, I kind of I kind of I was kind of moving fast there. So no, it's worth it's worth clarifying. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think you know that uh, you you could the restaurant is flexible enough that you could go there and spend less and you know, have a dish. The patio is really nice. Um, so you could have a, you know, a nice meal, several, you know, dishes or go have the, actually I had a mocktail, which was really thoughtful as well. Not, not something they just kind of mailed in and said, you know, here's something without alcohol. Yeah. yeah kind I'm, of a, a minty mojito y kind of uh, situation. Yes, sir. Some, some some pineapple in there. Yeah, it was it was nice. Um, so I I appreciate that uh, that level yeah, no. of of detail and and for something that's probably not you know right. Not a huge not not a not a super popular menu item. But but again, that that does kind of show the level of thought and the the detail that they put in every aspect of that restaurant. Um, let me just ask you about one other thing before we wrap the show up. I mean. How much are you dining in dining rooms and how comfortable do you feel in restaurants right now? Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty comfortable to me. The, the challenge was more the sort of the optics of, of eating somewhere when with maybe one or two other tables, it just, it's a little, it's different. Maybe been a little awkwardness there, but you know, up to, at the fifty percent level, it's that I think that's is significantly less. Would say the majority of my eating out is still takeout, and that just I don't think there's a specific, you know, reason. Um, so been out a few occasions. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, no, and I and I, I think that it's, you know, everybody has their own comfort level. You know, I was reading Houstonia. Uh, Tim Malcolm said he's not eating at restaurants yet, and and you know he's got a young family. I certainly respect his his decision, but I but I have been eating in restaurants, and and I have felt good about it both on patios and in dining rooms. You know, talked about talked about that some last week. I felt I felt good about you know the setup at Musafer with plenty of space between tables and and everybody wearing masks and. And a bottle of hand sanitizer available right when you walked in the door. In general, the places that I have been uh, are taking the precautions seriously. They're taking hygiene seriously. And, and I wouldn't eat someplace if I didn't think that they were. 
right? I there are just correct. You know, if I if I walked into a place and it it looked like they were flouting the capacity limits or or weren't taking their practices seriously or you know just get in the car and go somewhere else. But but so far I've I've felt really good about it and uh, I do kind of want to step the pace of that up. I mean, uh, you know, Riel has reopened, Nobis has reopened. You know, those are those are both restaurants that I feel, you know, a deep appreciation for and and want to support them and, and see them stay open. And, and so, you know, if I don't get to them both this week, like it'll be one this week and one next week. But uh, um, yeah, yeah, I picked I up think some, some some butter butter burgers. Easy for me to say from Riel last week and uh, just got an order of two really should have ordered about six um <laughs> i mean they were so good um yes both of those are on the list and you know this i hope that the numbers just continue to trend the right way and you know we've mentioned before kind of we'll get through this but uh man it's been it's been really challenging yeah and and we're seeing the effects of that and we will continue to see the effects of that Yes. And look, and, and I and I get it for people who don't feel ready to eat in the dining room. But like, if you you know, I've said this before, I will continue to say it. If you have a favorite restaurant and you want to see it survive, like now is the time. You know, if you don't feel comfortable dining in, get it to go. Do what you can afford to do. But you know, with the closings that we talked about earlier in the show, that that trend is the trend is not going to slow down. So this is this is the time. Well said. All right, Matt, that does it for today's show. This was good. We were able to kind of dive into some of these topics with a little more depth than uh, we would have otherwise. Indeed, I, I, I appreciate that. All right, well, thanks for doing this. Yes, sir. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. This is your periodic reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. I always appreciate your comments and reviews, but like Katie Nolan always says, only if it's five stars and only if it's nice. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.